This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Um, have something very different for you today. Uh, I, I like um, different things sometimes, and I'm always like learning about new things, especially things that could potentially make us healthier, whether that's uh, you know physically, spiritually, emotionally uh, healthier. And so today we're going to talk about hypnotherapy. And, and I'll just be real honest, something I don't know a whole lot about. Really, all I know about it is, you know, you, you see these people getting hypnotized at the fair and doing kind of silly things. And then I also have heard about it uh, a little bit of for smoking cessation, but we're going to learn a little bit more about it today and maybe just, uh, you know, what it can do for us. Uh, my guest is Renee Circatella. Hope I said that right. Yes. Uh, and she uh, is obviously is a hypnotherapist and she's here local in Oklahoma. She runs the Oklahoma City Clinical uh, Hypnotherapy. Uh, and so excited to see what she has uh, to say. So, Renee, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Greg. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, first, let's start off by telling us how in the world did you get into hypnotherapy? Well, um, it was something I kind of stumbled into. I had a degree in psychology and one in sociology and had been working in communications from not only um, for big corporations as well as the Department of Education. I've been doing that for um, all of my big girl career pretty much. And then um, I was part of a big layoff. And um, then I decided I was going to move in the direction of my mental health uh, goal business of, of business. And uh, so I started a behavior health and relationship coaching because that had a lot to do with um, helping people plan their lives and getting on track after, you know, a, a devastating layoff, which of course I had just been a part of. And I successfully built that part of the business up uh, over a two and a half year period. And then um, I stumbled upon a hypnosis card at my therapist office. And I started thinking about it and I thought, hmm, what? after my therapy session, I'm going to, I'm going to check this out because I was like you, I I'd seen stage hypnosis and I'd seen knew about smoking cessation and those types of things. But the more I started reading about it, the more I realized that this not only was something that I could learn about, but could really benefit, not just my existing clients, but there just really wasn't a footprint of hypnotherapy in Oklahoma city, not in the way that, um, I think we've come to know it a little bit better now. I mean, besides what we see in the movies, which, by the way, is a very good advertising for me. Um, so I investigated. I found a program um, that I liked. I shut down my practice for about 13 weeks. I went to New Mexico and I got around 500 hours of training while I was there. And, you know, you could be a hypnotherapist with a weekend training, but I got 500 hours of training hands-on and I stayed there the whole time. I didn't come home. Uh, and it was really an immersion in the therapy process. Um, 
came back and um, off I went. By the end of this year, I will have uh, delivered more than 5,000 hours of hypnotherapy. Actual, as we say, butts and seat type of type of scenario, not just me talking about it, but actually delivering over 5,000 hours of hypnotherapy by the end of this year. Very good. Uh, and, and so talk about mainly what you use it for and, and just maybe some of the, the indications, you know, for hypnotherapy. Sure. Sure. Um, what I, I'll start with what I use it for personally. It's one of those things that had I not been trained as a board certified medical adjunct hypnotherapist, I, it would have been worth the 13 weeks I spent learning about it because if you were to think of anxiety on a scale of zero to 10, my resting state was about a six or seven, sometimes higher until I was with my clients. And then I you know, kind of settled in, wasn't thinking about my own stuff. Um, and by the time uh, I was also taking, um, doing hypnotherapy with one of the, the, the teachers there while I was at the, uh, at the school. And after the third session, I was down at a three or four and I haven't been over that since just my resting state of uh, calmness and, you know, some spikes of anxiety because of life. Right. Um, so that alone would have been worth the going there and spending 13 weeks and the money that I spent doing it because I have a, you know, I do it every day. It's something I do every day. Um, my clients mainly come to see me. The number one thing I'm seen for is uh, reducing anxiety, repetitive thoughts, repetitive thinking. Uh, the next thing after that would be smoking cessation. And as I sit here right now, I have a 91% uh, success rate of people staying smoke-free for at least a year. And I'm still getting data back. I'm, I'm polling people as we go. But right now, 91% is about where I'm at. But my clients know that if they have a, a, a situation where they feel like they want to go back to the behavior, um, they're going to text me or call me, and we're going to do something about that before they get there. So uh, after that would probably be weight loss. Um, there's also different types of uh, fears, lots of height phobias, uh, fear of needles. That's a big one. Um, even uh, self-confidence. That's a huge one. And we know that there can be a domino effect um, with certain things. We may be afraid of needles and then just have anxiety about going to the doctor. Uh, or we might, it might be, uh, we start out with a, uh, a fear of failure. So we have an anxiety when we're around people. And often when we treat one thing, when I treat one thing, um, it has a domino effect and treating the other things as well. It's a, it's one of those things that's cut. I would call it an off label, <laughs> an off label effect because it's not what we started out with, but it does end up happening. Somebody can stop smoking and they came to see me to learn a new language. And yes, that has happened before. Interesting. Yeah. So kind of a lot there to unpack. A lot. Uh, but, but I, but I, I want to ask specifically about sure. anxiety because, um, you know, listeners probably know that um, I, you know, more of a kind of a holistic type of a practitioner. I don't like a lot of our pharmaceutical medications. Sometimes it's warranted, um, but I, you know, many times they have side effects and, sure. you know, anxiety is one of those that's from a medical standpoint that is sometimes difficult to treat. And so talk about, I guess, more specifically on anxiety, how, you know, like how long it takes, how many sessions, and then just what kind of results you're seeing specifically with anxiety. Yeah. So, um, 
I think to understand that, uh, let's go back to where we start with, with hypnosis. I start, unless it's a, um, an, an, an addictive type quality like tobacco or people are struggling, struggling with alcohol, most standards uh, pairings is going to be basically two sessions then a self-hypnosis that I'm going to teach them. We'll be moving away. We'll be moving off of me doing one-on-one self-hypnosis teaching. Um, but um, it's always two sessions. And if the client sees that there's value and more, they will tell me. And all of this is built on the idea that because subconscious mind is approximately 90% of mind, subconscious mind, based on its own perception, has total recall of its, its of itself, of memories, of all of that. And so I am never going to be the subject matter expert on the client. That's why I leave it to the client as they become more evolved and understand their own feelings. And this, do I have a little pull here? Is this kind of still an issue? They're going to let me know if more is, is, is necessary. I will never do less than two sessions with a client. That's just the way it is. Um, and then they also get their recordings, uh, video and audio, which if anybody's looking for a hypnotherapist, you make sure they get they do video and audio and make sure that they teach you self-hypnosis because we should always, as good therapists, as good hypnotherapists, want the people to be a fan of our work and not be dependent on it forever. I want to teach them how to fish and not just give them fish I want them to know how to do it for themselves. So as far as the anxiety goes, uh, knowing that um, when we look at the autonomic nervous system, we've got the sympathetic or fight or our flight, our freeze or appease, and we have the parasympathetic, which, you know, that's our safety state. That's where we feel love. That's where we feel harmony. We don't operate as much in that parasympathetic as we should. And I don't say should a lot, but this is one of those I'll say should about in our everyday hustle and bustle state, we are generally in a fight or flight state. When we are in fight or flight, it prevents us from accessing higher mind. Because when you're in fight or flight, you're really not thinking about math problems. You're not really thinking about how to love and connect. You're just trying to play emotional whack-a-mole, get it done, get the kids in the, in the car, let's go, let's go, let's go, next meeting, next meeting, you know, it feels, you feel like a short order cook. Um, so what we want to do is we want to move the person, if they're experiencing anxiety, we want to kind of look at some patterns of what's going on in their life, then we're going to teach them some techniques to move them into parasympathetic. When we are in parasympathetic, the anxiety just goes away. It's like putting um, a cold bucket of water on top of the fight or flight. It slows everything down. Higher thinking connects. Um, uh, healing in the body connects. All of that starts working better together. And you as a physician, Greg, uh, and this may be something that you can even speak upon um, because I'm not a doctor. I've been trained a lot in hypnotherapy. I do know the basics of the autonomic nervous system. But when our system is so frayed, our neurological system is so frayed and thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, how much is our, how much are we really putting on our own healing and our own mental stability? Probably not a lot because we're not taking time for ourselves. So uh, teaching a client how to do hypnosis, 
allows them to be put in that very still, very neutralized state of mind. So the body and the mind can connect together. Uh, it's also very goal oriented. So uh, if I were to talk to someone about anxiety, if they came in, Greg, and they said to me, um, I want to get rid of my anxiety. And I say, what would you like to have instead? Well, I want this anxiety gone. That's what you have. I want to know what you'd like to have instead. What I'm looking for is their language. And we, we, can, talk, we can touch on that a little bit, but calm, peace, centered, stable, restful, rested. Now, if I keep doing that, you're going to go into hypnosis. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I've talked on here before about, you know, the sympathetic and parasympathetic. I, I have a sure. whole podcast that I interviewed somebody on, you know, ways that we can activate our vagus nerve yes. to, you know, kind of stimulate that parasympathetic response. Uh, and so basically what you're do doing, at least as it pertains to anxiety, is your programming the mind mm -hmm. to kind of stay more in that parasympathetic state. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. When a person goes into hypnosis, it doesn't matter what they come to see me for. They tip off into parasympathetic. Okay. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter if they come to see me for smoking cessation. They're going into paras parasympathetic every time they go into hypnosis. Hmm. So we can, of course, access parasympathetic by deep breaths holding our breath and going underwater, laughing really hard. We can stimulate the vagus nerve and we can get there that way. Um, but I'm gonna teach them some breath work and I'm going to teach them how to correlate that breath work with the hypnosis, with a goal. And the goal is a really big thing. How do you wanna feel instead? How do you wanna feel? How do you wanna feel? And when I, when I talk about what you want, we, I don't need to know the client's whole history. It's not, it's, I mean, unless they've, you know, they're, they're taking a psychotropic or something like that, or they've had, you know, a history of mental health, mental, severe mental illnesses above my pay grade, then I need to know about that. Mm -hmm. um, I need to know, I need to make sure that they're in a pain state. Have they been seen by a doctor? Uh, is it something that the doctor knows about? That's a very big deal to me. Uh, if you come to see me about a, your knee hurting, Certainly we can make the pain feel like it's not there anymore. But if we remove the symptom without a diagnosis or without you seeing the doctor, that can do more harm than good. So I wanna be responsible about that as well. And sometimes even anxiety is a symptom that something's not right in the body. So they, they come in to see you and I wanna have you maybe walk us through a little bit sure. in a minute, you know, what a typical session looks like. But so they, they get in a state of hypnosis or in the, they're in this parasympathetic state. Yeah. And I'm sure at that time their anxiety is improved and then they come out of hypnosis mm -hmm. to go home. What prevents the anxiety from coming back? I know you mentioned you're going to work with them on some breath work and stuff, but, but what, how does that work? And, and I guess I could ask the same question about say cigarette smoking. I mean, sure. you know, how does the cravings not just come back once they're, they're out of that hypnotic state. Well, anything that you and I know how to do that we weren't born with had to be taught to us. That's just the way that it is. Um, you had the name Greg had to be said to you several hundred or thousand times before you turned your head and looked at your parents. It just had to be. You didn't know you were a Greg until you figured out you were a Greg. 
And so there's power in repetition. Why else do we have commercials, right? We see a 15 second commercial and next thing you know, we're wanting baby back ribs. Um, there's power in the repetition. So what I'm gonna ask my clients to do is to do their hypnosis every night. And for those that want things to execute even faster, I want them to do it twice a day if they can. Maybe even listen to hypnosis as they're going to sleep. They have access to a library that I provide them. I have stuff on YouTube they can go play around with as well. But it's going to be the repetition. What do you want? What do you want? Replacing the old thought with a new thought, creating a new neural pathway, because we're always going to revert back. If we're in a state of fight or flight, we're going to take the path of least resistance, which would be going back to the cigarettes, which would be the anxiety, the old script that we believe is true, which probably isn't. So it takes some repetition. It takes some level of commitment of saying, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, yeah, just the repetition is going to be a really big part of it. Um, I've seen clients stop smoking after one session. I've seen some where it's taken four. Uh, why? A lot of it had to do, it correlated very closely with if they were trying to do it for somebody else, which I generally don't let those people get past me. It's rare if they do. They're not my client if they're doing it for somebody else uh, because hypnosis only works if you want it to. So the desire is huge. The desire for this to work. That is, oh, if you have the desire, it'll, it can happen. It can happen. So for smoking cessation, how do they get around? I mean, you're working on the mental aspect, but there is a, a biological addiction to nicotine that you can have yes. withdrawal symptoms, you know, from nicotine. So sure. how does that work specifically with hypnosis? You know, the more I studied it, I look at cigarettes. Um, we generally have an emotional connection. If you could think of a circle being divided equally into thirds, there's generally a, uh, there's a behavior, you know, the repetitive behavior or habit. There's the uh, addictive quality of it. And there's usually emotional connection. I've not yet met a client of mine, and I've seen hundreds of them, that did not have an emotional connection. First time I smoked, I stole my grandpa's cigarettes. First time I smoked, I was with my girlfriends or my guy friends. You know, my dad and I used to work on our car together and we'd smoke together. So sometimes there's a, there, that emotional connection. I've not seen a time where there hasn't been. The emotional connection can also be that uh, perhaps a person's life just feels really, really busy. And this is something I've picked up and learned about, the, you know, this is the part of me that's the social scientist, that the cigarettes can symbolize that this is the end of my day. This is the end of this. This time is for me. This time is for me. This little six minutes that it takes me to smoke the cigarette is for me. And while I'm doing this, no one's going to bother me. It kind of insulates the person. So that's one part of it. It's the emotional connection. Then there's the habit of it. If you, if your brain isn't fully developed and you started smoking while you were a teenager, part of your brain development becoming an adult included cigarettes. It's been your part of your development. So we have to look at that part too. We have to look at the habit that's around that. I get up in the morning, I go to the restroom, I have my first cigarette. So we're going to probably interrupt those patterns. So I'm going to say, I'm never going to tell a client not to smoke, which is an odd thing, right? I'm never going to tell them not to smoke. Actually, by the time they've told me about smoking, I never say smoking again. I call it the behavior. 
the behavior. We want to put distance between a person's behavior and who they are. You're Greg. You'd have a podcast, but the podcast is not you. It's something you do that you can choose to do or not do. The same as with smoking. Although smokers will often identify themselves by saying, well, you know, I'm a smoker. There's an identity connection between them and the behavior. So we start by separating, looking at the language and separating you from a behavior. So behavior you used to do, you simply don't wanna do it anymore. And reminding them that their original state was never ever with cigarettes. They had to practice to smoke. Took lots of practice to smoke. And the third part of that is also going to be the chemical part, which you spoke about earlier. We know that when nicotine is in the body, it depletes GABA from the brain. And GABA, of course, is the feel-good hormone chemical that's in the brain. Once smoking has stopped, it can take anywhere from 48 to 72 hours for GABA to be restored. So one of the reasons, if we just, and I know this is a, I don't want to go too far off into a tangent. I, I told you, Greg, I could talk about this stuff all day. Um, <laughs> but the, um, because as soon as we begin the behavior, as soon as we begin smoking, whether we're 13 or we're 23, it starts depleting that feel good hormone in the brain. So the next thing you know, and it's different levels for different people. Some people can smoke a cigarette once a year and they're fine. Other people cannot do that. So let's say for the person that can't do that, that depleted the GABA in the brain. So the next thing you know, they're like, oh, I just feel so nervous. Why am I feeling so shaky? Why am I so nervous? Why am I so nervous? Oh, let me get a cigarette. That'll make me feel better. And so they get that hit because it's taken into the lungs for a few minutes. <sighs> Calms me down. No, it really doesn't. It just satiates. It just replaces a feeling that you naturally had that you got, you depleted because you started smoking in the first place. So GABA can re be replenished. So we look at all, all three legs of that. We don't just look at the addiction part of it. We look at the emotional part of it and we talk about it. Then I incorporate some of their language back into the hypnosis where the subconscious mind will perk up and listen because it's their own words, not just mine. I incorporate the things that they tell me. Yeah. Why do you think that hypnosis is not um, better known uh, about, you know, because all the things you're talking about, I mean, smoking is a huge deal. And a lot of people who yeah. smoke really want to quit. You know, they just have, have failed. Uh, anxiety, you know, is a huge deal. I'm seeing more and more of that, um, you know, depression, uh, sleep. And I don't know that you mentioned uh, sleep, but I don't know if I saw yeah, it on your website or, yeah, I mean, everybody has trouble sleeping. It seems like that I see. Uh, and, and of course the typical or conventional medicine just throws pills at everybody. But why do you think, um, hypnosis is not more talked about, especially with, I think you said a 91% success rate on smoking. Yeah. I think it's been categorized as something more metaphysical or mystic. And we are, by all practical purposes, in the Bible Belt. So anything that we can't explain by science, just by, you know, we, we watch the Manchurian Candidate or we see Get Out, any type of Hollywood movies, and we think it's that. It's not that. But I do appreciate Hollywood for making those shows because it does make people more interested in what I do. I think a lot of it has to do with believing it has to do with something that's not Christian. I think that's a big part of it. 
I also think there's that feeling of, I don't want to relinquish my control, which the opposite is true. You're never more in control than when you're in hypnosis. Um, not only are you fully focused and aware, you're fully relaxed at the same time. And it's quite an amazing feeling to feel so relaxed, yet so in tune with everything at one time. It's a wonderful feeling, but I think it's just a matter of not people not being educated in it. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, I run my practice like this. If I can't explain it by science, I don't do it here. Everything, everything I do here, I can explain to my clients scientifically, physiologically, why it works with their body. You mentioned people maybe have a fear of not being in control. And that probably comes from what you refer to as the stage uh, hypnotherapist, right. you know, that we mm -hmm. see at the fair or wherever. Right. Is that stuff legit? I mean, I guess that's my first question. And then yeah. second question, uh, if, if I come in to see you, which I'm planning on it, I don't mind saying uh, I'll, by the time this podcast airs, I'll report back uh, probably a little bit, but, uh, and, and I just, you know, like trying things. And so if, you know, if you during the session wanted me to stand up and start hopping on one foot, would I do that? If you wanted to, if you deemed it necessary, if you thought, it, if you felt good about doing it, you would. There's, um, I mean, if you said, if, if I'm under a, a hypnotic state and I may be thinking right. about this all wrong, but again, I'm just no, no, go going, ahead. going on kind of the, again, I guess the stage, uh, hypnotherapist, but, and that's kind of what they do. You know, they, they have people do kind of silly stuff with, you, right. you know, and I guess they're out of their, you know, not, not in their minds or whatever. And so I'm, I'm standing up and hopping on one foot is not going to do anything. But I mean, if, if you told me, Hey, I want you to stand up and hop on one foot, would I do it? I don't know. Is that a dumb question? Uh, no, it's actually a really good question. Uh, let's go back to the stage hypnotherapy. Is that legit? Is that, is that real? Uh, most of the time, yeah, it is. Um, but let me add some, uh, some caveats to that. When a hypnotist, they're not a hypnotherapist, they're a hypnotist, they're, they're a performer. When they're up on the stage, they are looking out in the audience. And what they're looking for, uh, and I'm a very expressive person, so I'll make sure I'll try to uh, describe this as a podcast, uh, knowing people can't see my face. Um, they're looking for wide eyes and big smiles in the audience. They're looking, they're almost being a mentalist where they're noticing body language. The body language gives away first who wants to be on that stage. So they're going to pick the biggest smiles and the hands going up or maybe the people whose hands aren't going up, but their eyes are wide and their smile is big or they're giggling and laughing. And then they may pull 20 people up on the stage. Now, what most people in the audience don't notice is they give them a little bit of a test real quick, probably lasts no more than 30 seconds, maybe even 15. And then they quietly tell about five or six or seven of them to go sit down. It happens every time. They, they really and truly want the people who want to be up there. They want the people that want to be on stage. So at that point, because they've gotten on stage, because they've also went through that little testing round, that's a way of giving consent. I want to be here. Hypnosis, I don't do hypnosis without consent and neither does the stage hypnotist. So then when, yes, there is suggestion, yes, can they forget their name? Of course they can, because for a little while, they're just following along, they're enjoying, they're caught up in the emotion, 
it's a very, when we're in a highly emotionalized state, we go into hypnosis very easily, whether we're crying hard or we're laughing really hard or we're a little embarrassed. That can tip us right over and where subconscious mind can take over. Now, does it mean we're not, we're just an inactive passenger conscious mind? No, but it's certainly having a good time and it likes being the center of, uh, on the center stage. And I explained that one time to one of my clients and she said, my son is so shy that he got up on the stage and he was acting like a robot and then an alien. And I said, but he wanted to be there. She said, but he's so shy. I said, how, I said, how long ago was that? She's like that three years ago. I said, tell me about him now. She says, he's in theater. He loves it. So the hypnotist saw something. The boy obviously liked being on stage, but really maybe never expressed it. So there's a consent that's being given. And the hypnotist will almost always go all the way down to like two or three people that they're really working with because they're the ones that are really, really putting on a performance. Does it mean they're faking it? No, but they are certainly enjoying it. Interesting. Yeah. How do you keep people from going to sleep? I mean, because if they're in that relax of a state in your office, is it is it common that they would just go to sleep? It's rare. Um, one of the ways I can always show the client that they're not asleep is I can uh, when I get to one way I'm going to I'm going to know it right away um, is I'm looking for their um, subconscious movement, which is very jerky. It's kind of weird where we have a more fluid movement. Like if I move my hand right now, I'm going to move it kind of smooth along back and forth. But in hypnosis, it's more like jerking, kind of like you kind of fall asleep and then you jerk yourself awake. It's more jerky like that. So I'm going to be looking for rapid eye movement. I'm going to look for some jerk jerking in their muscles, their feet, their hands, maybe their fingers, maybe their faces are they're twitching, but there's some, there's some signs that I'm going to be looking for. Uh, if they do go to sleep, it doesn't matter. Subconscious no. mind never sleeps. I don't need their conscious mind. I need their subconscious mind. Interesting. It, it does hear me. And then uh, they get the recording. They use it again and again and again and again until they see me. And um, it's like, have you ever read a book, Greg, and you read part of a paragraph and you're like, oh, crap, I'm going to read that over again because you just your mind drifted somewhere else. Uh, it's the same way. We don't hear everything right away. Often we have to go back and reread it, re-listen to it. Again, the repetition, the repetition. They'll get it. Sometimes you, you, there's been times when you've watched a movie and you're like, I didn't know that was in there. Huh. How interesting. Same thing. So going to sleep doesn't matter, but it's rare that it happens. Yeah. Interesting. So are people's eyes closed the whole time during the session or are they open? They get the option. I've had several that were kind of nervous about it going into hypnosis. So we can, clients can go completely into hypnosis with eyes open because after all, we experience hypnosis every day of our lives. Everybody, everybody goes into hypnosis several times a day, sometimes hundreds of times. Anytime you daydream, think of a shopping list, your eyes are open. You hear a favorite song on the radio or a song you heard when you were 15 and all of a sudden you're 15 years old again in your mind. So are you still driving your car? We hope so. Uh, so we often go into trance and hypnosis with our eyes open. So um, yeah, my clients want their eyes open the whole time. Not a problem. That's fine. Okay. Well, walk us through what a typical session looks like. So if somebody comes to see you, you're going to obviously 
do kind of an intake form, kind of right. find out what, you know, more about them. And then once you've, you've gone through all that, you know, just talk about what a typical session looks like, how long it lasts, things like okay. that. Okay. Um, the first session, I always ask the client to reserve two hours. Um, I work my, I work my hypnosis sessions and a probably very different way than any other hypnotherapist in Oklahoma, probably maybe even in Texas. I don't, I'm not a clock watcher unless I have another client two hours behind. Uh, so I'm very strategic how I plan my uh, appointments. First session, minimum two hours. Why? Why would we have it that long? Because we're not doing hypnosis the whole time. Uh, I want to make sure they understood. I want to make sure they did their assignments because that's going to tell me if they are really wanting to do this, because if the client comes to me and, and I'm, I've asked them to watch some videos and fill out some forms and they haven't, how serious are they about this? So that's going to tell me a lot. And then we're going to do an exercise to kind of um, pull some different phrasing out of them about who they are. Matter of fact, the exercise is called I am. We're going to do that. And then I'm going to use some of their phrasing and and not all the phrases get past me. Some of them we have to reframe in a more positive tone. And then we're going to move right from that to, um, you know, creating, a, I'll create a few therapeutic suggestions. And then I'm going to hypnotize them twice uh, during the first session. I hypnotize everybody twice the first session. Hmm. Um, it's standard. The reason why I do that is because people are either really excited, they're really nervous, or a little bit of both. So if I were to wait and ask them to compare session one with session two, a lot of time has gone by and they may not remember quite how they felt. So if I do one hypnosis, that's just kind of, you know, introduces them to resting and relaxing and they know that I'm not going to, you know, take the purse or, you know, draw faces on them while they're under the camera, then they're going to feel pretty good about doing it a second time. Now, the second time during the first session is where the magic is. That's where the magic happens because they trust themselves. A lot of times they're doubting their own ability to go into hypnosis. So they go into hypnosis and the second one is so much different. It's a different even framing. It's a different style. We do everything different in the second one. And they feel very satisfied with that. So then they get to compare the first one and the second one. That helps me also because the client can see how they have progressed because hypnosis is cumulative. The more you do it, the better you get at it, the faster you go into hypnosis. So there we go, one, two, right in a row, and they go right into hypnosis. Often I don't get past the second, oh, I don't know, the second minute, and they're completely back under into in a hypnotic state. Hmm. Yeah. After that, I count them up, which is, you know, one slowly, calmly, easily, and gently begin to bring your attention back to the sound of my voice to each muscle and nerve and your body feels loose and limp and very, very comfortable. And I, when I get to five, they'll open their eyes and they, they do. And that's hmm. that. And then the second time I see them, that's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. It's not hmm. very long unless they have something they want to talk about, but they, in the meantime, in the interim, they're doing their hypnosis every day, every night, every day, every night. And uh, if they get themselves stuck where they're not doing it during the day, I have something in the library they can listen to as they fall asleep. So 
got all that covered, but that's pretty much it. Um, then we schedule a self-hypnosis. They come in. I teach them how to do that. I record that because I want them to be able to do any hypnosis for themselves um, without listening to any recording. Hmm. And it, it, once you know how to do self-hypnosis, you can put yourself in and out of hypnosis in five to seven minutes for a whole little tiny mini session for yourself. Interesting. Yeah. Um, is there, is there anybody that can't be hypnotized? I mean, does that happen that people come into the office and they just, you, you can't get them under hypnosis? Well, that's kind of part of the discovery session. Um, we, someone has to be of average intelligence and there is, well, that takes me out. I guess I can't come, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm way below. Sorry, Greg. So. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is definitely a correlation between a person's intellect and their ability to go on hypnosis. Even if the ones that feel like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Do you want to do it? Yes. That's all I need to know. The desire is the most important thing because once they hear me say this, this is so, this, this is magic to them because, you know, we've all three ways to access higher mind prayer meditation and hypnosis of the three which if you do any of it keep doing it all of those are good things um but hypnosis actually has a goal and hypnosis is probably the only one that's go that i'm gonna you're gonna get instructions that says this and you can just think about whatever you want to think about if your mind starts thinking about lunch or dinner or yesterday, or what you're gonna what you're gonna do when you get to work. That's fine. Follow your thoughts and see where they lead you. You can focus on the sound of my voice or the sound of your breathing, or you can think about whatever you want to think about because that's what the conscious mind does. Because it doesn't matter what you think about. It just simply doesn't matter. So that takes them off of the hook of thinking, okay, am I, can I do this? You don't need to do anything. All you have to do is be in the chair. That's it. That's it. They don't have to do anything. Nothing is required other than following my instructions, which are few, and then just simply enjoy the relaxation and the refreshing that all of it brings for sure. Very cool. Um, well, before we wrap up, uh, any particular, um, I guess, cases come to mind of, of like just a remarkable kind of transformation in an individual that you would want to share. I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot of people who have oh, benefited. Wow. There's a, there's a lot of them. I just didn't know if there was one um, or so that, you know, kind of popped up in your, in your mind. There was a mother that was in her last trimester of her pregnancy and she'd been smoking since she was 12. She was in her early thirties. She already had a few children. She had struggled with drugs. Um, I mean, she had had issue after issue and her final, she felt like her final bridge to cross was to once and for all be done with smoking. She said, I want this baby to never ever have known that their mother smoked. The other kids had been through it. I mean, they had been, they'd been on that road with mom, the drugs and all the other stuff. And she was clean and sober and had been for a while. And I'm so happy for her for that. And, um, she, um, she was so, her desire was so strong that we did the first session. And then we started the second session a week later 
and she followed all the instructions. I give the, the, and I don't call them smoking cessation clients. I call them my freedom clients because what is it we want? We want freedom. We want freedom. So we want to talk about what we want and not what we don't want. We don't want smoking. Let's not even talk about it. But when I got on the, the uh, cause this was during, this is actually during the height of COVID. I was doing, you know, hypnosis through zoom, which of course, as long as you can hear my voice uh, after all your eyes are closed, hypnosis will work and it can work. I do contact free hypnosis. So I see clients in my office or through zoom, but we were doing it through zoom. And um, when, you know, I always ask, how are you doing? What's going on? She goes, the day after we did our first session, she said, I didn't want to do the behavior any longer. And they, le they learn not to call it smoking. They call it the behavior. Again, putting some distance, right? So she said, I haven't done the behavior since we did our first session. I said, how do you feel? She said, energized. Um, I feel like I have so much more time. I feel like I have more time. Well, the truth is she really did because, you know, six minutes a cigarette times 20 ends up being at one twelfth of your year. If you smoke, if you smoke six minutes at a time, 20, even one pack a day, um, she said, I'm not as cranky with my kids. I said, how, how are you feeling overall physiologically? She goes, I feel great. I've been sleeping great. I don't know what it is. And she said, as soon as if a thought comes to my head, I go jump back on the hypnosis. And so we really just did, um, we did a second one where we just absolutely reinforced everything that I'd done. Uh, everything she had done. She gave me some feedback. We use that. And I use that in the hypnosis. And then at the, our third session, which she had already paid for, uh, we, we focused on some childbirth techniques uh, to make her more comfortable and uh, be able to use her hypnosis during, during birth. So uh, that was a, that changed a family. And that was a big deal to me. Just um, having a mama that you uh, never knew smoked. And that was a, couple of years ago that that happened. So that was a big one. Well, very cool. Well, all right. Uh, well, anything else you want to throw out there just about hypnosis or what you do that I did not ask? And there's, you know, I told you, Greg, I could talk about this forever. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, one thing is I do a free call every month. Um, if people are interested in hypnosis and they just want to stick their toe in the water, uh, they can find me on meetup, meetup.com. Just put my name in there. Uh, I think Greg will probably have it in the show notes, um, how to spell my name, but just put it in there, register for it. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. It's a very generalized hypnosis. You don't have to have any experience in it. Um, you know, you don't even have to give me uh, your whole name. I don't really, that's not really important. You don't really have to do anything except jump on zoom. Um, but I want to, that's my community outreach that I do. Um, also be checking out my YouTube channel. There's going to be uh, 20 by the end of this year of hypnosis out there different pieces that I've done. Yeah. That I, I think that's, I think that that touches on most things. Um, and, oh, there is one final thing. I work with a lot of first responders uh, and anybody that has work tra trauma inciting related work. And often there's a fear of, I don't want to go to a therapist because I don't want to have to tell them all the stuff and re be re-traumatized. Hypnosis if you're good, working with a good hypnotherapist, you should never have to tell the trauma because you already know the trauma and you're the subject matter expert on you. All I need to know is what you want instead. Then we work toward what you want instead. So the, the firefighters, the police officers, the first responders, the physicians I've worked with um, that have seen a lot, especially during um, 
you know, everything that our country's been through, um, we can do hypnosis without having to know about the trauma. I don't have to know it. So that may give people a little bit of relief that they don't have to tell their story. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Uh, and so again, your clinic is Oklahoma city clinical hypnotherapy. What, what's the website? Uh, you have a uh, website, don't you? Yes. www.okchypno.com. Okay. And that's the best place for people to maybe get a hold of you if yeah. they want to try this out. Yeah. My, my number and everything is on there. Uh, if they can't, if they, you know, I'm, I'm, I pride myself in getting back with people very quickly, whether it's an email or a text or, you know, um, and we can set up time to just talk and see if hypnosis is right for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty simple and easy and it's really something you can use your whole life. Yeah. Okay. Well, very cool. Uh, always enjoy just learning something new because it's something I just don't know a lot about. So kind of, kind of oh. cool. Um, well, as we wrap up here, uh, I always ask my guests if they could give us one health tip that would make us healthier today. What would you say to that? I would say, check out how to activate your parasympathetic. So if you don't know about your vagus nerve, learn about your vagus nerve, learn how to activate it. And you can do that by simply breathing in through your nose, holding the breath for a few seconds, and then breathing very slowly out through your mouth. Your exhalation needs to be twice as long as your inhalation. And just doing uh, three breaths will get you started, but nine breaths are even better. And just figure out how to incorporate some nice deep breaths in your day. You will feel better because we're putting oxygen in the blood and that goes to the brain and that aids in putting us in that nice floaty safety response and can help us solve our own problems a little bit better. So that one's a good one. Very good. Great advice. Okay. Um, well, Miss Renee Circatella, did I say it? Cir- Circatella, right? but you're only, but close. I've been saying it for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. Uh, all right. Well, uh, really appreciate your time on Thank this you, uh, interesting subject and appreciate everyone listening and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to fit RX. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.